0: Hi. Hello! <laughs> We're going to start like that. <laughs> wait, wait, can we say hello and welcome to KeeperCast at the same time? Oh, okay, sure. Three, right, two, one. Hello, hello and welcome, welcome to KeeperCast! <laughs> that was right. So I'm I'm Sammy. The other person's Ivy. I'm not gonna let you introduce yourself. Oh this is like I feel like. Okay, I feel like there's um, there's this there's this book called Radio Silence by Alice Oseman, which all of you should read because it's really good. But they're recording a podcast, and there's this one episode where like they just sort of turn the recording on, and then they but they don't like try to record the podcast. They're just kind of talking to each other. And, I. That had something to do with what I was saying now, and I don't know what it is. Anyway, um, we're gonna be talking about the annotated and Ill- the the illustrated and annotated edition. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I think we're both really tired, yeah. and we we decided to do this like this morning. I slept like four hours last night, so um. Um. Yeah, and then. <laughs> We're going to be posting it, like, tomorrow. So this is going to be very unedited. We're also on the same track because we're in the same house, but we only have one book. So this might sound messier than usual. I don't even know what episode. I never said what episode this is. Oh, this is is episode 28, I want to say. Wow, you're really off. No, it's 26. 26? And I actually, okay, okay, we recorded. We recorded. That's not that off. We recorded the next Never Seen episode, like, twenty which I guess is 27 now, we recorded that before, I think before we decided to talk about the annotated edition. Oh, so I was right! So... Kind of. No, so that means that, so we're gonna say that that episode is 26, even though this episode is 26. So that's a fun little inconsistency, like all the inconsistency in this book. Okay, let's start. All right, (laughs) that was a very good segue. No, it wasn't. (laughs) All right. It was so bad. Let's um, begin. Do, 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 do. This book is tall. <laughs> it is tall. It's like... It's very tall. Yeah, it's like I... Um, I said this on an ins- on my Instagram story. Um, but like when you put it next to all the rest of my Kodok book, it's like... It's taller. It's like Kodok's tall cousin or something. Kodok's <laughs> tall annotated cousin. Um <laughs> but it's the same number of pages. So they just like, they told it up, they told it up. They made the margins bigger. And I think it might be a little like wider as well. I haven't looked at that though. Um, But yeah, it's the same number of, of pages and stuff. And this is all the paperback. So I don't know what the hardcover looks like. It could look completely different for all I know. I don't actually know anything. No thoughts, head empty stan felli hanakata i love her illustrations they're great oh yeah i i i at first i thought you were saying like like a word and i was like what is that no that's her name oh okay yeah no i love the illustrations they're Mm -hmm. they're so like fun and wholesome i feel like they like capture they capture like the essence and the vibe of the series way better than like the cover and all the other and like the the previous official art that was all like realistic and stuff like I don't I think the illustrations are just more, like, they're more happy and, like, I enjoy looking at them. Yeah, yeah. And, um, they also, like, I mean, I know there isn't a correct way to interpret the series, but so many of the illustrations do look very similar to how I imagine the scenes, so I appreciate that, just as a personal thing. hmm <laughs> Um, like, especially the lost cities, which I realize is the whole book, but like, (laughs) but like the buildings of the lost cities and how like they're built and the crystals and stuff and Eternalia, it all looks very accurate to like what I see in my head. There's also a a picture of Bronte, um, on page 65 and (laughs) yeah, so Ivy's looking at it right now. Oh my God. Why is his hair like that? I don't know, but that's actually kind of similar to how I imagine Bronte. Oh my like, god, really? I imagine him as this, like, really short, like, gray hair. Because I know they said he looks, like, middle-aged or whatever, but I, yeah, I imagine him as, like, I imagine him, <laughs> but, yeah, as, like, really short and, like, gray hair and, like, wrinkles. I imagine him like Mr. Forkle. I don't really know what to say to that, actually. Actually, no, I do kind of get what you're saying because... I have imagined Bronte in the past as looking kind of like Spock. so Yes! But the old one! Well, no. See, I saw him oh. as looking like young Spock. But I could also see him, I saw him as, as looking Spock. like old Spock. Yeah. But anyway, the illustration was actually pretty close to how I imagine him now. Minus the hair. I imagine him as having shorter hair. Mm-hmm. But I, I like that picture of Bronte just because I was like, oh, that's him. The boy. The, the lad. The mad lad. Wait, um, I have some things to say about annotate. Actually, I don't really have things to say about specific annotations. Carry on. Okay. Yeah, I have some things to say about specific annotations. Because I'm trash. I wish <laughs> they could see what I'm doing right now. <laughs> Please keep that in so they can wonder. <laughs> I will, I will. Um, so, yeah, I have, like, little, I have a few notes about specific annotations, and I will say, I have page numbers going along with them, so, like, if you have the annotated edition, I guess, or the paperback of the annotated edition, you can follow along. I don't know if the pages are the same in the hardcover, because I know nothing about the hardcover. They're probably around the same, though, so. Probably? Yeah. You can do. (laughs) But, um, on page 59... The annotation was about um, the elves pointy ears and mm-hmm. Shannon wrote pointy ears are one of the major elements of elven lore. So I knew I needed to incorporate them into my wor- world. Oh, like she incorporated all elements of elven lore <laughs> into the codal elves, because that's something <laughs> she did. It was completely accurate. Um, <laughs> Anyway, carrying on, but in order for Sophie to be hidden with humans, her ears had to be rounded, so I was a little stumped about what to do until I stumbled across an article that talked about how our ears are one of the only parts of our bodies that continue to grow as we age instead of shrinking. I realized that I could use that and make pointy ears a sign of age. I have two things to say about this. Number one is that I love how Shannon Messenger's first thought was, oh my god, Sophie can't pretend to be a human if she has pointy ears because some humans have pointy ears one some humans have pointy ears and two it's like the hyper intelligence and the telepathy wouldn't give things away (laughs) but the ears would that is true and also like they gave her brown eyes couldn't they give her non-pointy ears that is also a good point like yeah, Mr. Forkle could have tweaked her ears if he could have given her five abilities, you know, and merged her DNA with a horse. What if was she a had horse girl? What if she had horse ears? That would be so much funnier, <laughs> I think. Oh my God, no, that's so cursed. Anyway, the second thing I wanted to say about this was that today I learned that our ears never stop growing, <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know how I. I mean, I guess, I do know how I never knew it, because I never had reason to know it. <laughs> like, that's just something that's never occurred to me. My next note was on page 106, which I am flipping to now, slowly. And let's see, what doth it say? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what does the box say? <laughs> that's so cursed. <laughs> I really hope the recording didn't pick that up because like, I don't want to, I don't want anyone else to have to hear that. I hope it did. Let (laughs) me just, you can edit this out if you'd like. I'm not. (laughs) I'm not editing anything. This is practically a live show, okay? I love that. Okay, (laughs) then I can just, okay, I'd like everybody to be aware of the fact that Sammy's like in the chair and like being productive and I'm literally rolling around on the bed. (laughs) And that's our family dynamic. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, on page 106, there was, this was the section where Sophie drugs her parents, as one does. And she's like, could you make them forget me? Make it like I never existed. So they were originally going to be like, oh, wait, Sophie's dead. Or they were going to fake Sophie's death. That's a better way to say it. (laughs) Um, but then Sophie's like, wait, that's kind of messed up. Let's not do that. Um. And the annotation says, this is one of those moments where Sophie sort of took over her own story in a way. I'd planned to have the elves fake her death, blah, blah, blah. Um, But as I wrote this scene, I realized Sophie would make this request and that I should let her. It's always better to trust your characters. And I thought that was, I thought that was cool. um, Because it hadn't really occurred to me before that like, this was one of the first scenes where we see Sophie actually showing some agency. And not just being like sort of ferried around the lost cities by various people who explain things to her because like i think i feel like especially since we've been talking about never seen we've been talking a lot about how never seen is the first book where sophie starts to actually find out things for herself and like make her own decisions but it's cool that there was that instance of that earlier on in the series yeah and um i would like to add that yeah when, my, when i read that note i was thinking um, and just overall through the annotations, it seems like the way that she writes, she has different versions of things and everything is very replaceable and improbable, improvisable. (laughs) And like, I just thought that was really cool because I have a lot of trouble with that. And I feel like a lot of people don't do it that way where you can have your characters sort of do their own thing and it doesn't affect the rest of the plot very much but i think that's something that's very important and is probably a part of what makes Kadok so or what makes the characters sort of so lovable nice because like you they're able to make their own decisions within the realm of what needs to get done in the story because of the way her process works uh, the next thing I had noted down, by the way, I'm totally going into this blind. I don't really have notes. I just have the page numbers written down. Um, mm. It was page 122, which was the underline section was the elves had their own traditions, but it also made sense. The elves lived in their own world. Ow. <laughs> <laughs> what did you, what did you hit your head you on? You hit on the bunk bed. <sighs> I don't know what to say. Anyway, continue, please. (laughs) Um, The note says, what, this is something I have to remind myself of all the time. I'm writing about a completely different world, and it's a world that mostly sees no value in humans. Because we're (laughs) trash. (laughs) So it wouldn't make sense for them to include human customs or traditions. I have to make everything their own. I don't actually remember why this annotation stuck out to me, but it did.
1: I I have...
0: Okay, thought. Speak. That I just had. Speak now. Well, well, like, weren't the elves and humans in communication until, like, not that long ago? So wouldn't they, or not necessarily wouldn't they, like, have modern human customs, but I think it'd be interesting to give them some human customs that stem from, from the elven stuff or from some elven customs that stem from like ancient human stuff like i'd love them for them to have like a version of you know like a spring fertility festival or something like that i mean it doesn't have to i be love about how that's <laughs> the first thing that came to your mind okay i, I take latin okay <laughs> but like just stuff like that where it's like it follows similar veins in the way that human customs also developed from ancient customs that would have been shared. Yeah, yeah that's a good point because we see a lot of human things that came from elven stuff like mm-hmm. the loki stuff and yeah that's just the first thing that I was thinking of because that's what we read last week but um, but we don't really see that happen the other way around but since there was that kind of cultural exchange I'm gonna <laughs> drop my AP world credentials <laughs> here um, because there's that cultural exchange. we It makes sense that we'd see things both ways. In Microsoft Exchange. Mm, I prefer my version. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, on page 129, Shannon points out a Let the Sky Fall reference. Ah, there's gosh. a book called 25 Ways to Catch the Wind. That's a reference that I did not catch ever because it's so subtle. And I wouldn't have ever caught that ever because wind seems to be a fairly universal thing <laughs> um, excuse me i have gone through my entire life without ever encountering wind i don't know what you're oh, talking well, about lucky for you i hate wind it's the worst it's coarse and it r- it's rough and it gets everywhere is that are we allowed to say that is that fair use <laughs> yes <laughs> um let's see what else page 155 they talked about the logners and this (laughs) uh, yeah this is a piece of trivia that i've always kind of liked but has always sort of confused me because i guess in the original in the original printing of coddle book one stina is called stina logner but then later in the book she's called stina hex and that's because i guess because shannon says in this annotation that she had forgotten that she'd given Stina a last name, so she just invented another one for her. Um, so I'm a little confused by that. And then the second thing I'm confused about regarding the whole Logner thing is that in one of the later books, do not ask me which one, because I only remember facts about this series like floating around in a formless void. But, um, but they said that Timkins. His name before marriage was Logner, <laughs> and that he changed it to Hex because he because like Vika was of a higher status than he was. Ooh, which is a detail that I loved. But I was I was a little confused by that because I was because like, I was like, oh, was that Shannon kind of pointing out the inconsistency in book one and like making it work in real life? Like making I mean not in real life, but like making it consistent within the canon. Or was that just something separate so i don't know and i could be remembering the logner thing completely wrong like it's it's possible he didn't his they never actually said what timkin's name before marriage was I, I and i could have just assumed it was logner oh how the turntables yeah page 184 i'm gonna read this one in its entirety because oh is it the long one it's not a super oh. long one but i think it's great uh this is about after like the first day at foxfire And Shannon Messenger said, I've had readers ask me if Fitz was intentionally messing up Dex's name in this scene, and no, he really didn't remember it, which is telling in its own way, as is a lot of the dialogue in these last few scenes, what Sophie's seeing are some of the subtle biases and prejudices in The Lost Cities. It's definitely not a perfect world, and as an outsider, Sophie can see that much more clearly than the other characters can. Yes! I think that we've covered a lot about the prejudice stuff on this podcast, so I'm gonna focus on the more important statement, which is that this is canon word of God statement, that deck was unintentional, which <laughs> I am not actually a fan of. I read that and I was like, "Dang it!" Because, um, I'm like low key a death shipper, so like <laughs> it's okay. You can say high key. Okay, I'm high key a death shipper. Well, I'm I'm a low key everything shipper. That's the thing. I'm one of those like people where everything like everything burger. You can give me a ship and I'll be like, "Oh, I ship that," but then like, okay, whatever. So, I'm sticking with Loki. I'm a low-key death shiver. But I feel like that scene was like my second most important piece of evidence for that. Or not evidence, but it was like... I would sometimes think about that and be like, aw. Well, I do think there's like, there's interesting places to go if you assume that Deck, that Fitzhain Deck was on purpose. And I think those places you could go are a little more interesting than if it was actually an accident because it because it being on purpose implies that the sort of enmity between Fitz and Dex at the beginning actually went both ways. That, like, Dex, we know Dex didn't like Fitz, but we don't really know what, what Fitz felt about Dex other oh. than, like, not knowing him well enough to remember his name. So if that was on purpose, it would be interesting because now you're like, oh, wait, Fitz actually does have this... Thing against Dex, and it could be prejudice because of the bad match, or it could be something else, and we don't know. Okay, so I don't know how y'all, y'all, y'all <laughs> are <laughs> singular y'all, singular y'all are reading. I just I remember reading this as like a small, small child and being like, You weren't that small. I was like eight. Yeah, the bottom of the age bracket for Coddle. Yeah, right. that's true. Um, But, and I remember, like, thinking that Fitz was, like, intentionally trying to annoy Dex, but, like, not, but, like, he thought it was funny. Like, but Dex didn't think it was funny, but, like, Fitz thought that they were laughing together, but then Dex was like, no, you suck. Like, that's how I always read it. Oh. So, yeah. That's also really valid. Yeah. Honestly, I feel like any reading of that is very valid. Mm Mm-hmm. But, yeah, so now I guess it's canon. Yep. That it was an accident. It's okay, Deaths will live forever. So that's one question. Until Dex dies. That has been resolved. However, we still don't know whether or not Toby can read. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, because I noticed. We're not going to get into this now. No, 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 okay, no. Okay, no. <laughs> never mind. Um, no noticing. <laughs> <laughs> You've noticed nothing. <laughs> Page 203. Oh, my God. She writes so much about Keith. Sometimes she when didn't she write that much about Keith, sometimes when sometimes when she writes a lot in this annotated edition, she saves it until the end of the chapter, so she has a lot of blank space to write. However, this Keith was there at like the very beginning of the chapter, which means she had to fit like an essay's worth of notes into this like tiny two inch margin on I the think right she side. she Should have done it on the top above the chapter heading. That would make sense see but actually i don't know the chapter heading is a few pages away so maybe not um but so i'm not going to read the whole thing because it literally goes from the very top of the page to like the very bottom um but she writes a lot about keith and essentially the gist of it is that she did not intend for keith to be a character She um, originally didn't give him a name. He was just referred to as the boy. He was this random kid who was there to like spice things up between Lady Galvin's and the healing center. And now he is essentially the second protagonist and he's like getting a POV and unlocked. And so he has um, grown quite away from being quote unquote, the boy, although not in Grady's eyes. No, Rady called him called him Keith once, I think. Okay. No, he's that boy. That <laughs> <Dad> boy. <laughs> <laughs> ne- my next note is page 231, and I actually have no idea what this is about because in my notes I don't have a summary of it written. I just have the words what the hell. So <laughs> what is it? <laughs> I'm gonna see this. This is about mm, this is about Bullhorn oh. the Banshee, Elwyn's Banshee it's about how banshees can sense when someone's in mortal danger i'm always trying and this is shannon's words i'm always trying to find ways to incorporate the magical lore of mythical creatures into my world in a non-magical way and one night a story on the news was about a cat in a nursing home that <laughs> oh my god i remember this now that tended to sleep next to patients right before they died so some people thought the cat could sense death i realized <laughs> sorry <laughs> I'm not crying. I'm laughing. I realize I realized that concept fit well with some of the myths about banshees, so I created bullhorn. Ideas are everywhere! Exclamation point. So now we don't have to have to unpackle. <laughs> I'm trying to keep it together. I'm really trying. Keep it together, Brian. <laughs> I I'm so coming. sorry to anybody listening to this. But we're very tired. The concept of the concept of getting the idea of bullhorn from a news story about a cat that could supernaturally sense death seems fake, but like no, but also not. not. Okay, but the weird <laughs> thing is, I remember that news story. What? You experienced it? <laughs> And it comes from a really weird place, okay? I don't- Story time. Oh my God. (laughs) Tell me about this. I don't think it was the same news story, but this is a thing. There are cats. There are multiple cats that can do this. And I remember when I was four years old, my preschool- I do not remember anything from when you were four. (laughs) My preschool class took a trip to the nursing home. And when I came home, my dad told me that there was a- (laughs) My dad told me there was a cat at that nursing home that we went to, and when a patient was gonna die, the cat would go and, like, lie at the foot of the bed. Oh, no, I think he was lying to you. Well, yes, but he must so <laughs> well, obviously, but he must have, like, heard of it somewhere. Yeah. I, I mean, here's the thing, like, weird stuff happens in real life all the time, like, I don't think it's impossible that's why for there to be a cat to... that can tell when people are dying it's like probably it probably can like smell some sort of sickness right maybe i mean i i just i don't think it's out of the realm of possibility i just think it's really funny that shannon messenger was inspired to create a <laughs> fantasy creature off of like a real life thing that does the exact same thing as the fantasy creature does <laughs> <laughs> like and it's also so specific like I don't know it just makes me lose it um next thing I wanted to talk about was page 260 they're talking about the love triangle between Alden Alina and Della which I think is that is an underutilized love triangle your little like creaks and stuff of the bed are gonna be on the recording but um yeah, what was I saying? Yeah, Alina, Alden, and Della are a very underutilized love triangle. I think they could be doing so much more with that. It's juicy. It's scandalous. Um, but the note said, Another thing I spent a huge amount of time on when I was first brainstorming this series was all the different connections between my adult characters. Most of that has been left out since it's also backstory. But I do love when I find moments to work a few of those secrets in. First of all, Shannon Messenger. Give me that backstory give please. me that damn backstory oh, okay like she's been doing um uh those like short stories in the backs of the books right she should do it as should a do short story. from an adult's perspective yeah. o- or, a, or a flashback or it's not the book like th- an actual flashback please, please give us something from Della's perspective i would look kill. i love Della, and uh, <laughs> the thing is that like i would not kill if anyone's this i would not kill yeah you would <laughs> that's true <laughs> I'm also so sorry for whoever's transcripting this, Kalani or Ben or whoever's in charge of this episode because we're a wreck and I don't know how you're gonna like turn our sounds into words. It's okay, if we don't (laughs) if we don't um, if they can't do it, I can do it because I can interpret our screams. Without context, that sounds really (laughs) weird. Um, Yeah, so the adults, I think that the fact that Shannon now has said that she has all this backstory for all the adults i find that fascinating and like it's it's canon it's there like it's just waiting to be shared with the universe and i need to see it because i love i love the adults a lot and i just want to see more of them and their character i want to see how they got to where they are now i want to see what they were like as children i just i want to know everything more about the adults i would gladly take like another thousand page book or however long those books are now just about the adults that's my opinion on things that is the correct opinion about things glad to know my opinions are all correct (laughs) oh i did while you're looking for things i did want to bring up this there is one annotation that i remember where i don't it was near the beginning of the book i think when it was like you're not allowed to use telepathy on people because that's like a rights violation or whatever and the um the annotation was what here this is a trick that i like to use for my fantasy oh that she puts like rules and restrictions yeah i I remember that i don't remember what page it's on i have mixed feelings about this which is getting into the general comment that i was going to make the good thing the positive comment is like yes good job we stand and like the rules and i totally agree like is, she also made a comment about this um, when Sophie was about to read Lady Galvin's mind. Like, yeah, it does make it really interesting and it shows lots of things about her character and just makes the world very rich and saturated and I love it. On, like, the um mm side, like, I thought that it was cool that coming from a perspective of, you know, because, yeah, when I first read Coddle, I was, like, eight years old. And I think I liked the, the rules and restrictions from the beginning, but I didn't really understand why. And now that I've like, you know, read things and I've watched lectures and stuff and like- You can say Brandon Sanderson? Yes. And I, I like, and I understand Ooh. that that's like a real thing. Do you think they can hear my toes crack on the recording? <laughs> <laughs> but like, yeah, and like, now that I actually know about that stuff, it's cool to see her see that oh like she does too she's using a more generalized version of this language that lots and lots of writers use to describe these things and i thought that was very cool yeah yeah i remember that annotation too yeah that's cool yeah, so I have found the next annotation that I want to talk You know, it would be so much easier if I just dog-eared the pages. I yes. realize that now. I have nothing against dog-eared pages, actually. I do it all the time with my books, which I know, like, a lot of people don't like them, but I don't really care. Like, your books are there to be mutilated. Yeah. You bought them with your money. When I, um, when I was reading Harry Potter... Okay, don't judge me because I was five... So it's okay. You don't you don't have to flex the fact that you're reading <laughs> Harry Potter when you were five. Okay, but I would um, dog ear the pages, but all, all, but all the way so that the outer Right, you fold them like a hot dog. Yeah, I would, wait, like a no, no, oh, like, no. hot I, dog style. No, I'd fold the corner in so it's it makes a square. Oh, that's more cursed. <laughs> yeah, and, and I'd also because we had reading log, so I'd write the page number like. I like when I would start reading every night, I would write like one it really huge in the corner and then I number all of the pages to count them because like I guess I couldn't subtract. I legitimately like could not subtract. Five years old. You could read Harry I Potter. I could read Harry Potter but I couldn't <laughs> subtract. So So um yeah, my Harry Potter books are just super mutilated. It's Yeah. Actually terrible. You yeah. know. I'll annotate in my books. Like, my series of unfortunate events books are all highlighted and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, highlighting is, like, sophisticated, though. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, the, the thing on, on page 361 was about Iggy. The annotation says, Most of Iggy's worst behavior is based on my cats. I have particularly troublesome kitties. Adorable and fluffy, but troublesome. Cats. I love Shannon's cats. She posted them about them on her Instagram. Yeah. I love them so much. Yeah. <laughs> That was that was Ivy. We don't actually have a cat. <laughs> <laughs> I wish we had a cat. Yeah, that would be nice. Although we're both allergic. <laughs> yeah, I would. <was laughs> so dying. that would be a little problematic. But um, but yeah. So since I'm allergic to cats, I have to like live vicariously through other people's cats, which means that I have, like, I, I love Shannon's cats a lot, and I just love that Iggy was based off of them because, I th- there's no ending to that sentence. I I love Iggy and I love cats. <laughs> Put them together, and I'm happy okay we're getting to the last few annotations that i have and then we actually had deleted scenes at the end which i didn't know existed yes i didn't know the deleted scenes existed um so page 371 is my next one where shannon messenger finally says she says that the the working title for keeper of Lost Cities at the very beginning was chasing everblaze yes. this is something she said at launch party at least once possibly multiple times but i didn't Think it? Was, she had actually said it in writing until now. um So that was interesting. Something that she didn't actually put in this annotation, though, was the reason why they changed it. But she said, "At I remember her saying at launch party that they changed it from chasing." Everplace, it sounded like horse book. Yeah, because that title made it sound like a horse book. Which, first of all, one, sylvany *Keeper of the Lost Cities* is technically a bit of a horse book, <laughs> and two it does sound like a horse book. Like yeah. if Everblaze was the name of the horse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because the, the Everblaze sounds like a horse name. It and does. Chasing plus horse name equals horse book. Well, anything plus horse name equals horse book. <laughs> well, that's true. But also chasing plus anything equals horse book. True. So it's like a double horse yeah. book. Um, but yeah. No, Everblaze sounds like the name of like, like a red horse. Like, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Who's, like like one of those fast. like, okay, so you know, like the like really- the flash, but in horse form. You know, like, that really overused horse girl trope where it's, like, the girl, like, goes to the woods and, or goes to, like, an abandoned farm and finds this wild... Oh, like, this in The wild... Me 3. I never watched that, actually. But oh, okay. she finds this, like, wild horse and it, they say, like, it can't be tamed because it's too wild. Like, I feel like that kind of horse would be named Everblaze. <laughs> I have not read many horse books. I used to read so many horse books. I love The Horse Diaries. I can't re- you can't relate <laughs> <laughs> i'm falling off my bed <laughs> okay no i'm okay i'm okay i'm okay the next thing was four pages later on page 375 oh man we're we're this is good this is not gonna be a short episode i take that back Oh, okay um, but this was about the name moonlark and how she mm-hmm. chose the name moonlark for the moonlarks moonlark <laughs> Moonlark is such a good name. I gotta say, like it is. It's a really yeah, good yeah. It's great. I was actually convinced for a long time that Shannon Messenger had gotten that the name Moonlark from an Instagram filter because the order of some of the filters went moon and then lark. So like there was a filter named moon, and then right next to it was a filter named lark. So I thought that she would actually gotten the inspiration from Instagram. However, she did not. Apparently, um, the the note says that actually she had come up with a few names and then she had had the followers on her blog vote for which name they liked the best, which is something I didn't know before. And I think that's really cool. And it's like, you know, it's like how she does the Iggy Pools now, but like with Moonlark names beforehand, I guess. I don't, it's, it's cool that she's always had that kind of element to her stories. Yeah. I also think it's kind of funny that like the most important animal in your entire series, you were like, yeah, let's leave the name up to other people. (laughs) I mean, that's totally something I would do because I hate making decisions. (laughs) (laughs) Decisions? What are those? (laughs) Um, Yeah. And the last thing I wanted to talk about was way later because I had nothing to say for a very long time. Way later on page 488. This was at the very end of the book. And it's it was about birthdays, and where ah. Shannon Messenger said in this note that um, she's never going to tell us the keepers' birthdays, which I felt very sad about that because I want to know their star signs. Wait, I actually I like feel birthdays. I don't know. You can like just sense them in your mind. Yes. <laughs> Maybe you're an elf. <laughs> Do you have pointy ears? I mean, I have a pointy skull. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) But like, okay, like Sophie, Sophie. Okay. I can't tell like, 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 but Sophie is a July or August birthday. No, I disagree. Okay. I th- share your thoughts she feels distinctly like uh, a spring birthday to me and i we were talking about this earlier actually and um headcanon birthday actually i think it was Ben had a bunch of headcanon birthdays for the keepers they all sounded right so i don't i don't remember exactly if sophie was a spring birthday there but she feels very springy to me okay like can march or april maybe early may i can respect that but also late summer for me huh and like dex is, it has a december birthday fitz has a may birthday Um, Oh, whoa. That's way different than what I thought. Okay, okay. In my opinion, Fitz is the December baby. Ooh, okay. And Dex actually gives me huge June vibes, but I think that's because I associate June with the color Periwinkle. Yeah. Well, so yeah, I'm sad about the fact that we're never going to get birthdays. Um, Because, like, the, the reasoning here was that since the elves don't really celebrate birthdays, it's possible that, like, the characters wouldn't really know or they wouldn't care about it so, like, we shouldn't care about it either, but, like, I get that, but also, I am human. I'm not an elf. I do care about birthdays. Also, I'm a little bit confused. Like, if that's the case, how do they know how old they are? Like, I mean, I'm guessing it's, I'm guessing most of them actually don't know exactly how old they are. Like, once you hit adulthood, like, I get counting your age up until you stop aging, but once you're an adult, like, there's no point to counting anymore. Well, yeah, but, like, the, the most of the characters haven't stopped aging, and like they do know exactly how old they are. So clearly, they know something about their birthdays. Yeah, they no, they probably do know their birthdays. I guess it's just that since it's not it's, like since it's not like a part of their culture, it's not it's widely said. celebrated. Yeah, okay, that like, makes sense. It's kind of just like another day where you're like, oh, guess I'm thirteen now. So, yeah, that was the last thing I had. Did you have anything else you wanted to say about the annotations? About the annotations. Um, uh, I did. This isn't about the annotations. This is about the illustrations. I did want to bring up that in the Keith picture, um, that is not how someone sits on a bench. Like, no, I, I do. I agree, though. He I'm, doesn't I'm look to... like he's on the bench. Yeah, I can, okay, I can always instantly find the Keith page because it's the one with a giant block of text in the margin. <laughs> yeah, like, look at that picture. Like, it looks like, like he's about to fall off. No, he, he looks like... He, the position he's in is, like, he looks like he's sitting in a therapy chair. Like, like he's, like, kind of, like, half sitting, half lying down. I get how it's supposed to look, like, like he's, like, cool and, like, you know, he's too cool yeah. to, like, sit up straight. Um, but, yeah. Actually, I I have more problems with Keeve's face than I do with his... Sitting position, but I always have a problem with Keith's <laughs> face in illustrations. So that's not like this isn't like a dig against Miss Hanakata or anything because like all the illustrations are really good. I just have an issue with Keith's face, no matter who draws it. I think that Keith's face is always too like angular. I feel like okay because he's like thirteen. That's true. He looks older than thirteen here. And, yeah, I feel like all... the Same with Fitz. Fitz is, like, 14 in the first book, and, like, his... Yeah. His drawings are... I I think they all look older. They look old. I think they all look older in the port. The only one where they were really, like, true to their age, I think, were the original official art, the Courtney Godby portraits. They
1: the were ones done- that were
0: line art. Yeah, the line art ones. They were done around Never Seen. I yeah, think- no, those were really good. Those felt true to age. Uh-huh. All of these feel, they, they do, they look older. I think Sophie, Sophie in these illustrations, actually, she looks about the right age. Same with Dex, I feel like. Dex, okay. I do have one issue with Dex's illustration here. I think that, I mean, he looks great, but there's this one image, it's been on all the promotional stuff for, um, the annotated edition, you guys know what I'm talking about. It's the one where he and Sophie are in slurps and burps, and he's taller than Sophie. (gasps) But he's not though. That goes against every fiber of my soul. Dex isn't taller than Sophie until at least like. Never seen. No, Dex is never taller than Sophie. No, he's he's taller than her. Nightfall. That's like a. Oh a, really. It's actually brought to people's attention. Okay. Okay, but, I, but I can see that. The thing is that the that that's the point, right? The point is that he's grown up. Right. The point is that he has matured and he's taller and older. Q Regina Spectre. <laughs> but like and so it doesn't make sense for him to be taller than sophie in the first book yeah i realize this is completely inconsequential and like the illustrations are not canon but like it just bothers me a little yeah. bit Ooh, also can we talk about how there were like sparkles around bianna's face in her illustration even though like there yes. were no sparkles because like how do you know there weren't any sparkles <laughs> Vianna okay, just true. Vianna just sure. trails sparkles wherever yeah. she walks. Okay, that is my new favorite headcanon. Fiona <laughs> okay. is just a sparkle machine. Yes, no, but she doesn't do it naturally. Like she, 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 she carries a little, a little sparkle fan, <laughs> she, like in her backpack, <laughs> to purposefully leave a trail of sparkles as she walks because she is just extra that way. And that it's not Keith's arrow mark pin, nothing like that. That is how the never seen. <laughs> that's how the never seen able find them. them. Because Oh, Fiona's Sparkle Trail. (laughs) Fiona, it's all your fault. (laughs) Moving on to the the deleted scenes, though. I didn't know there were deleted scenes. Like, I'm sure that it was there somewhere in, like, the advertising for it, but I just completely missed the fact that there were deleted scenes. So there were um, one, two, three, four, five. There were five scenes that I was completely unprepared for because I didn't know they existed. So now the question is, are these scenes canon or not? I don't know. No, because they were taken out. They were taken out, but technically, they were published and bound in this. No, but they're they're published as non-canon. But can the author write something that's non-canon? Yes. These are the existential questions we talk about. See the cursed child. I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> well, joke rolling is a different uh-huh. situation. <laughs> that was before (laughs) but um but yeah i i don't actually have that much to say about the deleted scenes i do want to sort of run through what they were um because if like some people didn't get the annotated edition and like they just want to know what happened um so the first deleted scene was about was after after sophie drugs her parents um and no delicate way to say that yeah, Yeah, I mean that's really the best. Yeah, that's the best way to go about it, I think. Um, but uh, but Sophie and Fitz are having like a little scene. They're having a little discussion at um, at the. Please don't crinkle your balloon. On, Sorry. on recording. Sorry. <laughs> that sounds so weird. Um, but Sophie and Keith are having like a conversation by the seashore, and it's actually I believe it's actually the same. Is it in Fitz? Did I say Keith? Yeah, she hasn't met Keith yet. I met Fitz, um, and it. But I think it's actually the same beach in *Lodestar* with the Selkies. Um, yeah, because they were talking about Selkies. Yeah, because they they, yeah. they were talking about Selkies. I think that they were like around there. But I wish this scene had made it into the book. And this thou this was the only one of the deleted scenes where I felt like the book would actually have benefited from it being there, um, because I don't. I don't think it needed to have been taken out. I think that, I don't think it slowed down the pacing of it or whatever, and even if it did slow down the pacing, it was like a nice breathing moment because the Sophie drugging her parents scene was so very intense. And I'm also, I also love the ocean and I would like ocean scenes. (laughs) I actually have got to disagree with you here. Oh to tell i think that because i remember reading that thing about the pacing and i was like oh yeah i because it i i feel like it did work it would have broken it up and it tonally and timing wise it just worked better the way that it was in my opinion but i think it was a nice scene and i feel like they could have put it like near the end of the book after they get rescued and like They just get to, like, hang out on the beach. Maybe that would have been nice. I don't know. Yeah, I... I think we'll have to agree to disagree. Okay. I could definitely see that scene being inserted somewhere else, like, maybe in exile, actually. Like, Mm. after Alden's been brought back. And Keith... (laughs) I keep saying Keith, and Fitz is, like, trying to grapple with, you know, how he was how angry he was while Alden was gone and now Alden's back and like dealing with that next to you know the peaceful waves of the ocean I think that would be that would have been interesting for an exile but mm. but I do also think it would have been good where it was originally there so I don't know I don't know um but yeah the the, the rest of the deleted scenes I think the book was better off without them and that, that's not to say they were bad I just don't think they were necessary, and some of them were bad. <laughs> um, the, second, the second one was about detention, where basically mm-hmm, mm-hmm. initially Shannon Messenger had put in every single day of detention that Sophie had and, like, described it in detail, and we don't need that. We don't need any of that. I don't need to we read need about in our Sophie cleaning gym floors or whatever, like third one was a a light show um I'll just read straight from it um the author's note said I wanted to show what the elves used bottled starlight for and I felt like I should let Sophie recover from everything she discovered and lighten the mood a bit but it felt really out of place and like it was killing the tension so in this scene Sophie is attending this light show where they're basically releasing a bunch of bottled starlight into the sky and it's making these like cool firework kind of things. There's one that's shaped like a dinosaur. You know, I take back what I said about um, the about not liking any of the deleted scenes except for the first one because I actually did like this one. I thought it was nice. I maybe I'm sensing a trend here. I like stuff, I like scenes where things are peaceful. Like I like scenes where you can just have a bunch of friends sitting together watching the ocean or the sky. Or something and just feeling at peace no definitely yeah and that's what I felt like the scene was but I also agree that it wasn't needed and it would have broken up the pacing of the first book and also the Orin flare in book two is pretty much the exact same thing the what <laughs> 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 no we were doing so well we were getting so serious <laughs> No, the the Orin Flare. It was like this big bonfire where the the all the flashers and Oren Backer would like put on this huge light show. It was it was at the very end of Exile. Wait, I feel like I'm conflating the Orin Flare and Oren Backer's light show. Actually, oh, because I feel like no, because the Orin Flare. Oren Vacker's light show was an actual plot point, wasn't it? In like one of the. Later it was books. in flashback. Yeah, but yeah, that was the Celestial Festival, slightly different oh. thing. But no, the Orin Flare was based on a bonfire. It also... It did happen in Exile. I don't remember if it was the same scene as The Light Show. But it was a bonfire, and that's why there were marshmallows. Okay. Um, the next scene I have written in my notes as, quote-unquote, random dialogue. Let's see what this was. No, it's just them talking about their crushes, pretty much. Yeah, and I choose to ignore this one because it has both Biana and Morella, and... Also, this isn't canon. True. Well, this is, like half canon arguably it is only a it it is at most like 23 percent canon i would ask you how you arrived at this number (laughs) but we've been recording for 56 minutes oh okay all right (laughs) um yeah the last scene i actually have multiple bullet points about this um i this this is a short scene where sophie is having a conversation with keith and Keith ends up giving her his leaping crystal um, so that she can go bottle the Everblaze. What I find most intriguing about this scene is actually the author's note in the beginning, specifically because of two things. One was that there, Shannon Messenger said that there was originally a, another class at Foxfire called Cryptozoology that she took out because it felt it quote-unquote felt too similar to the care of magical creatures class in harry potter okay i don't care how similar to care of magical creatures it is because a cryptozoology class would have been so cool i don't even know what cryptozoology is but it seems fun it seems like the study of cryptids right <laughs> <laughs> they'd just be studying Keith. <laughs> wait is keefe a cryptid now <laughs> yes okay you know that's not out of the realm of possibility again yeah right but um yeah so the 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 second thing i wanted to say though was that something else that was said in the author's note was that originally gildy the flaredon did not just randomly show up at havenfield sophie stole gildy (laughs) from foxfire and i would have kidnapping one i think that is kidnapping two i think that's also theft (laughs) and three I really would have liked to see how that went down because I want to see Sophie committing cold-blooded crimes at the age of 12 in book 1 <laughs> like because stealing an entire like dinosaur sized animal from your school from your middle school is the exact kind of chaotic thing that book one sophie would do it is so in character it is more in character than many of the things she's said and done since then and i would have liked to see it i'm trying to figure out an artemis foul pun but i can't an artemis fa- like, like <laughs> right i know right because like the 12 year old committing crime and then also like bird but i can't fit it together yeah there's something there if <laughs> If you think of an Artemis foul pun to go with this, please, by all means, send it in. And with that, I think we will segue into plugging right. our social media. Yeah. Okay. I feel like, no, honestly, I feel like we shouldn't. Like, if this is your first exposure to this podcast and you don't know our social media yet, I think you should just leave. <laughs> That's actually a really good point. Okay, let's just do KeeperCast (laughs) social media. Um, Yeah, so our KeeperCast social media is um, KeeperCast on Tumblr and The KeeperCast on Instagram. Our box and our DMs are open, so you can send us whatever you thought of this ridiculous episode. Um, Yeah, what were we going to end with? We were going to end with something, Something quote-unquote, something fun. (laughs) We should sing the Forkman song together. That's so funny. I was literally about to suggest singing the Keith Betrayed Everyone song. Oh, that? that's a better No, no, Forkman's well, song is better because it, it's more singable. Keith Betrayed Everyone is more. Yeah, like, it's just like. opera like. <laughs> <laughs> okay, a 5, 6, Forkman, seven, seven, there's no need to feel down. I said, Forkman, lie there dead on the ground. You can stay there. Because Because you are dead dead now. Sophie is very unhappy. (laughs) It's fun Fun to to die in the lost cities. It's fun to die in the lost cities. Okay, that's all we have. I know somebody wrote more verses, but I don't have those memorized. Credit to Casey, Project Moonlark on Tumblr, who isn't active anymore, actually, but still credit her because she's fabulous. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, yeah, with that... This has been a terrible episode of KeeperCast. Bye! (laughs) See you in a few days, less than a week. Bye.